My Car Guru, episode 207. Hello, folks. This is Lenny Lawson, your friendly neighborhood car guru. I'm the guy that, you know, you wish you could take shopping with you to buy a car. You know, I wish I could do it, but, you know, the only, the only thing that I can do for you is to have you give me a buzz and um, or send me a text while you're in the process. You know, if the salesperson comes at you and says, well, it's, we're only going to give you this much for your trade. Well, they wouldn't say it that way. They would say, congratulations, we're going to give you this much for your trade-in. And you'd look at it and say, what? That's nothing to brag about. And then you would pick up the phone and say, hey, Lenny, what's my car really worth? And I would tell you. And you'd say, I got the guru on the phone. And he says, you're not giving me enough for my car. Uh, who's the guru? And then, you know, you would have to explain all that stuff. So it's better to, to actually go in with your head up and you know exactly what you should pay for a new car. You know exactly what, well, not maybe not exactly, but close, what you should get for your trade-in and so forth. But last night, had a call from a radio show listener, and they wanted some advice. So I said, come on in. You know, just come on. They got here right as I had planned on leaving the dealership, but that's okay. So we sat down, and they explained they had a serious case of buyer's remorse. And I said, well, tell me about it. And they said, well, let me look at this and see what you think. So this is, they handed me the buyer's order and the bill of sale for the vehicle that they bought. And, um, you know, I looked at the pricing and looked at what they were buying. You know, it was a 2020 model. It was a used vehicle. And, you know, the selling price was $19,999. So you might as well say twenty grand. And, um, you know, and then I looked at the bottom. They paid $15,000 down, okay? Pretty good size down payment on a $20,000 purchase. Do you, do you know how much they financed on the car? $15,738.57. So they bought a $20,000 car, paid $15,000 down, but somehow managed to finance $15,000, almost $16,000. Well, how does that happen? Well, it's, it's kind of what I talk about on this show on a regular basis. It's people not paying attention to what's going on and getting caught up in the excitement. And it is. It's exciting. Gosh, dog, you know, I mean, you wouldn't... Why do they have to take advantage of folks just because they let their guard down? I really don't know why that is, and I don't know how they can live with themselves when they do. But they do. They find some way to justify it, I guess because the customer signs all the paperwork. Um, They say in their mind, well, if he signs it, you know, he must be happy with it. And you are happy. You know, they put a balloon on the car, and it's all clean, and uh, they fill it up with gas. Wasn't that nice? And then they send you on your way, and you paid $15,000 down on a $20,000 car, and you still financed $15,738. Well, let's see how that happened. Well, number one, on this particular uh, document, they paid close to $700 in document preparation fees. Okay? Common thing. Dealers charge it. You know, the, I have a document preparation fee or document fee also. Uh, it's a processing fee, but basically it's profit. Okay, it's margin that was taken away from from dealers over the years, and and that I mean I think I disclosed that our first document fee I think it was sixteen dollars and fifty cents back in the uh, mid seventies. So it's changed a lot. People really put put up a big fuss about that back then, but they have grown. Uh, you know, seven hundred dollars for a doc fee is pretty high. So anyway, what else did they pay for? Well, they paid sales tax, two thousand one hundred and seventy five dollars. 
uh, local sales tax $84, license and tag $110. Most of that is just set, you know, based on the selling price of the car. So nothing big there. Oh, but here's where the rub comes. They bought something called Secure Etch. Now, if I'm, you know, if I'm talking to you and, and we're just sitting on a park bench and I look over at you and say, hey, how are you today? My name is Lenny Lawson. Do you know what I would be talking about if I, if I was trying to sell you something called Secure Etch? You would just probably get the same look that that guy on the park bench would have uh, and would just be a blank. No, I really don't know what that is. Well, I don't think they knew what it was either. Basically, that is a little sticker. It's a, it's a, um, I don't know exactly how it does it. It's got some kind of acid on it, but it does an acid etch, and it, it etches the VIN number in the glass of the car. Sometimes they don't even do that. They just put a little sticker inside the door jam. And so let's say that uh, I think what this etch used to be a product that if somebody stole your car, it uh, or if they saw that your car had an etch product on it, that means that all the glass in the car had been etched with the VIN number. So what these junkyards would do is they would, you know, they would people would steal the cars, bring it to them, they'd break the car up in a million pieces, and uh, including they'd save the windshield and the glass, and then they'd resell it. Well, it's kind of hard to resell something that has a VIN number on it. Uh, it's kind of risky as far as the f- authorities are concerned. So that's what etch used to be. Now etch is just a a term for a sticker that goes on the car. And then if your vehicle gets stolen and your insurance company, you know, is going to pay out a certain amount of money and and the etch product is kind of a little side insurance policy that'll pay you a little bit of money like anywhere from uh, $1,000 to $5,000. What did they charge for this miraculous product? $3,398. Um, this is something that probably costed the dealership about 50 bucks. Uh, 10 of that was for the stickers and, um, 40 of it was for the insurance product that backs it up. But the only way to, to redeem that, uh, insurance policy or to file a claim on it is if your car gets stolen and, uh, or if it uh, is totaled, it's a total loss. And then you can file a a claim on that. Is that something you'd buy for $3,398? You know what? Nobody would. Nobody would buy that or spend anywhere close to that if they knew it, right? But the problem is these people don't know it. It's because they don't read. They don't read the documents. Um, you know, this is this is uh, should be illegal. Okay, so what else? They bought an extended service agreement you know, an extended warranty. What do they pay for that? Well, on this particular vehicle, I would say that warranty, a really high price for that warranty would be, it might be 2000 you know, maybe $2,100, maybe $1,800. Different dealers have different markups, and, and different warranty companies rate the cars differently. Uh, they paid $4,198 for this warranty. So that's 7000 about $7,500 for products, and they're also paying sales tax on those, by the way, folks. Uh, $7,000 additional, I'm sorry, $7,500 additional dollars on this car that, number one, the, the Secure Etch, they shouldn't have paid anything for, 
and then the extended service agreement, maybe $2,000. So did these people get taken advantage of? Yes, they did. They signed all the paperwork, though. So they said, well, what can we do? And I said, well, you can't do anything. You've already done it. You're locked in. You could cancel the warranty, and that would be the first thing that I would do. I would cancel the warranty. Um, I would guarantee, just about, I didn't check this out, but I would more than likely assume that the Etch product is non-cancelable. But, you know, and this, they're coming to me more than, I think it's two months after the fact, so it's really late to go in and, and try to cancel something. But I would. I'd, I'd make it a temp. I said, you know, I'd. What do you say, though? I mean, you walk into the dealership and say, you know, I'm, I bought this car from you, and you, I didn't really look at the paperwork. Why didn't you look at the paperwork? I mean, you signed it all. Yeah, but, you know, I was in. I was all excited about buying a car. He had a balloon on it, for goodness sake. And um, I was all excited about the balloon and the full tank of gas and stuff. And they, they did this big celebration, you know, and gave me a hand. You know how some dealerships, they'll, they'll, everybody in the room will clap you know, when you bought a car. I don't want that many people in the room to know I bought a car. It's none of their business. And, and you know, that circus atmosphere, people just get sucked into it. So anyway, um, could you go in there and cancel that? Possibly. I would go in and try. i say, this is ridiculous. Uh, I think I'm on it to show this to my lawyer. Well, go ahead. Show it to your lawyer. And uh, good luck. And, and, you know, most people won't pursue that. So if it's not if it's cancelable, I would cancel that with glee. Now what happens though, if you finance a car and you do the cancellations, if you cancel this stuff, they don't write you a check. Unfortunately, it's not the it doesn't work that way if you finance the car. The check goes to your lender. Okay? So that would be the people who loaned you the additional fifteen thousand seven hundred and thirty eight dollars and fifty seven cents. Uh, you can cancel your service contract and then go into a dealership and buy a reasonable reasonably priced service contract instead of paying four or five thousand dollars goodness sakes uh, so uh, you know we we had a nice conversation and uh, there was the the wife was a little bit upset and I understand that I mean that's big money and most people don't know what to do you know they go in and they, they just they're so intimidated by these slicksters that and you know they're really fast talkers and they can they can say well you really do need this and this is quite a value and let's amortize that over the 72 month financing contract I mean look how little you're paying for this on a monthly basis and that's how they try to justify it but it's it's sad and it happens every day folks if if you know somebody's going out and buying a car and they are inexperienced they're young folks and they really don't know what to look for you know have them get in touch with me or. Somebody or, or read an article on buying a car on Edmunds.com or something. You know, do something that will make sense. My cell phone number is 423-552-2020, and you can send me a text. And I'll talk. I talked to a guy today about uh, needing a. I don't know these people at all, but they called me from Knoxville, and uh, this guy is a uh, the son of a man that I do business with, and he said, "Well, my dad said that you're." Uh, car dealer and stuff, and we need some advice on a, on increasing the size of our vehicles because we're having our fifth child. What should we do? What should we look at? What kind of things should we buy? I think I gave him some good advice, and he really appreciated it. Uh, I didn't give him any buying advice because what he sells or what he wants to buy, he can buy from me. You don't need advice if you're buying it from me. I'm not, I'm not bragging or anything, but I'm going to take care of you. Um, and that's just the way we do business. I've been doing it for 44 years. 
So that's a pretty good track record, I think. Um, all right, so I'm going to take my first break, and I'll be back in just a minute. You know, other than car advice, being an owner of a, of a business with a lot of employees, I end up uh, becoming a counselor. You know, I've been through probably 30 or 40 divorces and never had one myself. Um, you know, and I've, I married my high school sweetheart. I figured one t- round is enough, and it's been good. And I know people get into situations and stuff that are, you know, out of their control. Um, you know, life happens. Tragedies happen. Things um, change the dynamics between, you know, a couple. Um, things like this, you know, this financial transaction on a car, those are avoidable if you go in with knowledge and experience. Um, when you go into relationship issues, it's, it's different. And so anyway, I have people coming in all the time asking me my advice about stuff, even though I'm totally unqualified to give them advice in many of the areas that they uh, ask me about. Um, one guy, it was just an interesting employee. He's just very ambitious, and um, he's got good moral, you know, his, his moral compass points in the right direction as far as everything that I can tell. Otherwise, I wouldn't want him working for me, and he's doing a really good job. But he comes in one day, he's, can I talk to you, Lenny? And I said, well, sure. You care if I shut the door? Uh-oh, I know this is going to be serious when they say that. So I said, no, come on, shut the door, have a seat. And his first comment to me, he says, how do I become you? And I said, what do you mean? He says, I want to be you. I said, well, okay, what do you mean by that? You can't be me. He said, well, I want to be like you. I want to be a car dealer someday. And uh, so that's a lot. I said, well, it would have been a whole lot easier if you were my son. You know, or uh, uh, you were the son of somebody who is a car dealer already, because that's basically how I became a car dealer. I mean, I, I don't know. My, you know, my dad worked for Chevrolet Motor Division. He wasn't a, a dealer when I was born. He was just a, a Chevrolet rep. I mean, he was the guy that went and called on dealers. He got to know dealers really well. He, he got to know how the system works, and he wanted to become one, so he did. He bought a dealership in Greenville, Tennessee, and. That's how it started. So when I got graduated from high school, um, my brother was already on the path to go to medical school, and he said, Lenny, would you like to be in the car business with me? And I said, well, I think I would. He said, I'll tell you what. If you'll be in the car business with me, I'll, you can sign a contract right now, and we'll let the dealership pay for your college education, and then you just have to agree to work for me for at least five years. Now, how many dads would, would do that, make you sign a contract? Well, I know why he did it. It was for tax purposes. He could write off my college education on, you know, let the dealership pay for it. And so it was a a dealership expense. That was a wise move on his part. But, you know, as I got closer to graduation, I kept thinking, okay, is that really what I want to do? Do I really want to work at a small-town Chevy dealership or Chevy Mazda dealership in Greenville, Tennessee? Well, you know, I I reflected on the life that my dad had. And, you know, he was not a big-time... Uh, six, I mean, we're in a small town in East Tennessee, population 16,000. It's not like, you know, you're going to get rich doing that. But, you know, in the eyes of that young man that was sitting in my office, I'm wealthy. You know, I am a, you know, a gazillionaire. He has no idea, you know, what I have and, and what I've been through to get here. I mean, I've almost 
we've almost been out of business probably five or six times with all the recessions and and difficulties with interest rates going up and down and business cycles going up and down. I mean, it's been it's been a struggle over the years. But you know, if I look at the trajectory, it's always been up. If you look at a long timeline, it's always been up. But man, those downs were scary. I mean, 2009 and 2008, the Great Recession, that almost got us. I thought COVID was going to get us. You know, it's not easy. And I explained to him that you know, there's there, there's certain things you have to be able to do to be a car dealer, and number one, it's so much more expensive to get into it now than it used to be. I think my dad paid like $100,000 for the dealership, plus the uh, inventories and stuff like that, $100,000. And, you know, I, I'm i not even going to venture what it would cost to – well, I know a number, what it would cost to, to buy me out of the car business. They'd have to buy the, the buildings and – you know, you can't buy the franchise. They have to be approved in order to get the franchise. But they'd have to buy all my assets and stuff. It'd be a big number, big number. But it would have to be, you know, for me to be able to justify going home and, and telling my girls that now they're unemployed and, and my son-in-law and my nephew. So that's not going to happen. But, you know, if somebody wants to be so-called wealthy, first you have to de- decide, you know, what – what do you mean by that? What is? How do you define wealth? Because I don't define wealth just in terms of money. I mean, I, I look at it as freedom and happiness. Maybe not happiness, but at least a joyful, productive life. My, my Uncle Joe up in Bristol, uh, Joe Lawson, used to say, you know, what makes a man truly rich is faith, family, and friends. And if he has those three things, then he is truly rich. And so, boy, it's hard to argue with that, you know. And uh, there's so many. Otherwise, you wouldn't have these rich people that jump out of buildings, you know, because their life is just meaningless. And, I mean, what I wanted to tell this young man is don't confuse things, you know, assets, nice offices, you know, somebody that drives a Porsche every now and then. You know, don't confuse that with, um, with happiness because there's plenty of people who have a lot of things and they're miserable because they don't have the things that really matter. And what you really need to focus on, young man, is just doing the best job that you can do in any job that you're doing. And, you know, if you ever decide to move on and to go to another dealership, or, you know, because you get promoted and I don't have a job for you or something, I'm going to shake your hand and congratulate you because you're moving up. Your trajectory is up. You know, I, I mean, I had an advantage. My dad was already a car dealer. But you think it was easy on me? I mean, those guys, I got bullied when I was uh, in my early years. The first five years of my existence at, at Lawson Chevrolet was borderline miserable because I had a general manager who wanted to do everything he could to make me fail and to make me look bad. And my dad, you know, I I didn't want to, you know, tattle and all that kind of stuff. I just wanted to tough up. But there were sometimes I would go home with a big lump in my throat, you know, because of the things that that they would do, just playing jokes on the dealer's son. But I worked my tail off. Just ask my wife, you know, the hours and everything that I worked to try to make this work. And then we've been able to grow. And at one point, I ended up being involved in five different dealerships. 
and now I'm doing exactly what I want to do. So, you know, the more you have, as, as what I was trying to, the point that I was trying to get across to him is the more you have doesn't define how valuable and how, how worthwhile your life is. I mean, some of the most wonderful things I've ever done that gave me the most good feelings had nothing to do with money. It had more to do with my faith and helping other people. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to go play music at the nursing homes many years ago, and for about four or five years, uh, once a month, I would go to the nursing home and I would sing and play my guitar at the nursing home. And um, I learned, I got more out of that than they did, because I would be sitting there and I'd be playing the old rugged cross, or you know, he lives, or some you know old hymn. You know, I'd try to play, sometimes I'd play my own music, and they would just go, oh, that's nice, that's nice. But when I played the old hymns, they would start singing with me, and that would touch their hearts. And that's, you know, when I was truly being fed. When I, when I look back on my career, those are the things that have the most meaning for me, and, and that's what I try to get these young people off of this thought of financial wealth and, and you know, having things. It, it's... It's such a small part of being happy. Um, okay, I'm going to take my last break. I'll be back here in just a minute. Anytime that I have an opportunity to witness my faith to somebody or to encourage them or to help them get on the right path, I mean, I've, I've dealt with drug addicts and, and people who, like I said, going through divorce, going through anything. Anything, anytime that I have an opportunity to do that, um, I jump at it. And Sometimes I feel totally unprepared, and I'll just say a prayer before I, you know, start talking. Oh, Lord, help me say the right things. Help me say the things that you would have me to say, you know, to help this person. I'm really grateful that I have a platform to do that, you know, even on this radio show is just the opportunity to uh, help people with a, you know, a pretty big part of their life. I call it their car life. It's the, the things that they go through to be able to move through this world, you know, and be safe and um, help people avoid the kind of mistakes this guy that we were talking about at the beginning because it's, you know, it's costly. I mean, that takes away from uh, ability to maybe go on a, a good vacation with his family or to buy something that they really need, maybe new furniture for the house or something. I mean, it's just, it's, a, it's obscene, you know, what happens to some folks, and, it, and it's just because they're not prepared and they not, they're not getting the right advice when they when they go out to do this. So I appreciate the opportunity to, to do this. If, if I can help you in any way, don't hesitate to call me, 423-552-2020, or send me a text message. It's the best way, and then I'll get back with you. Or you can send me an email to Lenny, L-E-N-N-I-E, Lawson2020 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru.